Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. I'm really excited that Bill Harley is joining me today. He is well-traveled, well-read, well-educated, well-spoken, and well-loved. He's accompanied by his guitar often as he shares his stories and narrative songs, both original and traditional. Uh, he has a celebration of our common humanity, weaves its way through in all that he does. Best known for his work with children and families, his ability to navigate through a confusing world with humor and wisdom is evident his masterful storytelling, as well as his numerous award-winning recordings and books. He's a two-time Grammy winner. Uh, he's vibrant, outrageous, uh, unpredictable, and genuine with songs and stories about growing up, schooling, and what it is to be human, our connections with one another and with the planet we share. Recognized by audiences and peers as one of the finest performing storytellers in the country, his work has influenced a generation of children, parents, performing artists, and educators Bill tours internationally as a performing artist, author, and keynote speaker from his home up in Massachusetts. And Bill, thank you so much for being on The Blender today. It's great to be here, Steve. It really is. So we were chatting a little bit earlier about just what a great impact you had on my kids, but it was also lots of other kids. I remember when we came to the festival and my kids were little and they would always be like, where's Bill Harley performing? So, and so we'd always be following you around the different tents here at the festival, so... Pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is. You you will see that, especially like at the national festival where kids can kind of roam. You'll just see somebody. If a kid likes somebody, they're just going to follow them around. I guess adults do that too, but somehow the kids are more noticeable. Yeah, and you know sometimes we would come and they would say like, "Where are all the kids?" Uh, which was interesting for me from a children's perspective because at the National Storytelling Festival, I mean, it's a lot of grown-ups, and that's all fine, but they always be like, where are all the kids? And I'm like, well, I, hopefully we can find them. And hopefully yeah, yeah, well, I think there used to be more. I think there, there yeah. used to be more. I think yeah. that's, that's less than I think. The whole demographic of the audience has kind of <laughs> gotten older, Got you know. Older, now, but... now those kids have their own kids, you know. So. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's great. Now, I have grandkids, so... Guess who's going to start listening to your stories pretty Passing soon? Passing the curse, that's great. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. I know. So, But uh, one of the things that your stories have always done a great job is just sharing humor of being a child. I, I still remember one of your um, produced, uh, either it was a DVD or CD or a book, I think it was called On the Back of the Bus or something yeah, like Yeah, from the back of the bus. From yeah. the back of the bus. So I still remember some of those stories. And it was just these you know, amazing stories of childhood. And I was curious, when you start shaping some of these stories about being a kid, navigating through some of the, you know, issues of childhood and so on, do you start with a memory or or with a struggle or a moment? How do you sort of work your way into coming Generally, up with Generally, when I kind of go back there and mine my childhood geography, there's it usually starts with some incident yeah. that sticks out in my mind. Although a lot of times... Um, the geography of that space is very important to me. Um, and I think, you know, I'm always looking for what's universal. And one of the things, I mean, it's amazing to me, I was just in a school last week telling stories about me being in school, and this is, you know, 
50 years down the line or something. And the because it's an institution, there are some things that just stay the same. Yeah. And so there's this immediate understanding of what we're talking about, like what the, you know, the cafeteria and the gym and the playground and, and the hallways and, and, and the principal's office and the library and all those things. So the geography is the same, and you just people them with your... You, you inhabit them with, with the characters that you remember or that you create or whatever. So, um, but oftentimes it'll start with an incident um, that that really sticks in my mind, and the it builds that incident very often is kind of the, the climax or when the story what the story is about is really revealed. Um, but sometimes that's not it. I'm I'm actually constantly amazed. I tell stories about me growing up, and I always start out thinking the story's about me, and it never is. <laughs> uh, almost hardly ever. It's 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 rarely about my successes. It's I'm playing the role as as the observer mm. or the participant, but it's usually somebody else that's going through that kind of transformation. I might change a little bit too, but uh, I was like, I thought this was about me, and it's still not about me. <laughs> Actually, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, stories that draw us in when when someone's telling a story are often not about the accomplishments of the storyteller or speaker, but very often they're the recipient of grace or like you said, you know, it's about someone else and it isn't necessarily about how we've accomplished something great. It's sometimes how we've noticed something new. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, and, I mean, certainly there are people who tell stories about their successes <laughs> sure, and all sure. that. And, I mean, all of us do to some extent, but I, I don't know if it's because of, I don't know if it's because of my my background in which you were not supposed to talk about yourself or make oh, yourself sure. the center yeah. of attention, you know. Um, but I also I'm, I'm I'm pretty careful about that. I, I don't really like to make myself uh, the hero, and I, I think when you're a half step away from that experience and you're observing it, then something else happens. Now, even as I say that, I'm thinking of stories of that. I mean, like one of my stories, Zanzibar, about this unfinished homework thing, and by accident, I create this song, and it gets me through. The, so that one is about me, but I, <laughs> actually, right. but it's as much about the the teacher, this poor teacher that just had to put up with me. Um, but I, I'm, I'm very careful about that, not wanting to make myself this. I'm more the observer, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. even in my own life. <laughs> no, and I, I think, um, I mean, I think that that's a huge aspect of what. Know, draws you in, uh, or draws readers—not uh, readers, well—in your books, but also just draws listeners in. You know, it's like you feel genuine, and it isn't that you're up there, you know, necessarily patting yourself on the back, but instead saying, "Here's this experience." Well, you know, the thing is, and this when I talk to people about creating personal stories, it has to be about the audience. Yeah. If if there's not a universal element about the human condition that undergirds the story then it is just going to be about you. Yeah. So if even if something that happened to me, I'm saying, did this happen to you? Something like that. Oh, yeah. And you see that kind of look of recognition and the, oh, yeah, right, 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 right. Or a laugh of recognition or, or a groan. <laughs> no, but that's a good point. You know, like when you were talking about schools, it's like we all remember all those things that you, you, know, you just listed. And so there's just this immediate common ground that we have yeah. in, in, uh, in that realm. Um, and also, I was thinking of another story I've heard you do, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's about a lifeguard. Oh, Christy, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I've yeah. heard that story, yeah. and yeah. I always enjoy that. And uh, 
But uh, tell us just a, a, just at least a teaser about what that what was that story kind of about? Because I feel like I've heard. Okay, yeah. So that's high yeah. diving. It's one of those okay. things where it's kind of a molding of music and and story. Um, so it's in verse. It's kind of like talking blues in the sense that, like a talking blues structure has two couplets usually, and then you make a comment about it, and then you go on to the next thing. It's kind of a structure for, or it might be four couplets, but, and then you comment on that. And so it's about, that is, it's about me being in love, trying to impress the, I'm nine years old, and I'm trying to impress the, you know, 17-year-old lifeguard, <laughs> and it's the first time I've ever been up on a high dive, and I'm totally freaked out, and have also drank way too much soda pop before I get up there, so <laughs> tragedy is inevitable, you know. Um, so, I, <laughs> I'm thinking, I remember one of the first times I performed that, and I wasn't sure, I'd had that idea in my head for a couple, uh, for a number of years, because I just remember a couple experiences, the first time I jumped off the high dive, you know, that's like, I can't believe they let you do this, and also trying to impress somebody, and I was in a belly flop contest at some country club that my friend took me to, <laughs> I, I was, I, I was going to win the silver dollar, and I, I literally passed out when I hit the water once. So I kind of combined those two. But I wasn't sure who it was for. I mean, yeah. I knew, and I got in a situation where I had to do a kindergarten through sixth grade school, kindergarten five. I don't like to do, I usually like to split them in half. But I said, well, let me see if this works with them. And I got to the point where I said, there's someone at the pool I really wanted to impress. Christy, the lifeguard, and this first grader in the front row went, oh, God, oh, you know, so, was, <laughs> so and I thought at that point, I said, I am home free. You know, if the first graders already know this is a really bad idea, then we're going to, it's going to work for everybody. I love those moments when we listen to a story, and the character within the story isn't aware, maybe, yeah. of what, but we're like, oh, this is not going to turn out well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great dynamic, and it can add to I humor. Always, I always feel like... I want the audience either just a little behind me or just a little ahead. Yeah. So the audience sees what's going to happen before it happens. So they're going, oh, or when it happens, they go, oh, of course, well, I should have known that. So, you know, you don't want to be too, it's almost like, you know, like, I was thinking about, like, ministers. They can't be too far ahead of the congregation <laughs> in what they're telling them to do or too far behind them, you know. They're, they're going to lose their church no matter what. But I always feel like that with, it's like, I want the audience to be, Either just before, or just behind me, or just ahead of me. Uh, so we're, it's there's this thing going on there. Yeah, and, and for writing, um, sometimes when people talk about mystery and suspense, so talking about like suspense is often where the reader is one step ahead of the characters, right? So because they're in, so we know. Oh, don't open the door. There, there, there's a killer behind the door. Whatever it is, but then mystery is often where we're like one step behind and the character's doing something like wonder why he's doing that I'm sort of like oh he's solving the mystery so it's so fascinating that you've found the same yeah. sort of dynamic yeah. that a lot of authors and I think I think in books the problem too is if if you I mean if you're reading something that has suspense in it and it's 60 pages before you get to the climax you know what the answer is well that's not you know you might be smug or the other one is when the climax comes and you go I just don't I don't I don't even see how that could have happened. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's so it it's, it's similar. To have that. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that's weird about the story, told story, is it's happening there in the moment. Yeah. You know, it's very much about time, uh, even more so than is it much more so than than written things. It's happening right here. Yeah, that's that's true, and I like actually, 
It's a good point that it is, you know, it's a so- shared social encounter. And I think, you know, I know, well, I'm not sure for you, but I know during the Zoom days, kind of over the last few years of the pandemic, so this was so hard because you're like sitting in your basement looking at this computer screen. Literally, you don't know how people are responding and listening and so on. And you're trying to perform or do stories. So like, it was brutal for me because I yeah, think audience I, is so I, important in that unfolding. Yeah, I don't I do it still, and yeah. uh, when the when this whole thing started, I mean, I have, you know, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 hours of material or something, or I don't know what, and I and I thought, I can outlast this baby, no problem, and I got to, I did two shows a day, two shows a week for like four months. Oh, wow. And I didn't repeat, and then I was done. I was, like, you know, uh, but I, and, and. I got feedback from people how much it meant to them. I know I heard from a lot of people. I mean, there was times where like I knew there were a thousand people watching. Oh wow! Yeah. Online, yeah. you know, but it's not the same. Yeah. It's I don't like it compared to the space that we have uh, between us uh, in in uh, in one room. Now, um, when you teach storytelling, um, you mentioned a minute ago just about personal stories. What are some of the principles that you really try to share with aspiring either storytellers if they're telling their own stories or maybe teachers on using storytelling? What, what are kind of some of the sort of unique takes that you, you have on that? Well, I think one of the hardest things to do, but it's really at the heart of it, is that, I mean, there's the crafting of the story, of the plotting of the story. Actually, one of the things I think is a lot of times a story's not working because the plotting isn't right. Hmm. If the story's hard to tell because you don't have the things in order. And as a result, when you get to a point and you know it's not working, then your performance suffers. Huh. You yeah. speed up or you slow down, you know. So I think that the this I really I'm really kind of a structuralist in terms of stories. Um, I kind of want things in you know, I work really hard on you know, what you show and when you show it yeah. and how it's shown. But I think the other thing that goes along with it and it's really hard is that you're speaking in, in your voice, that every storyteller has a particular voice hmm. and finding what that voice is and that, that that's going to influence the way you relate to the audience. It's going to influence the kind of stories that you tell. Um, and that's... I, I'm thinking we had mentioned um, uh, Celebration Barn when um, when I was quite when I would I've been doing it for a year or two. I just really wasn't. I wanted to get better, and I knew I wasn't. And I ended up getting hooked up with this guy Benny Real, who directed small uh, individual and small group performers, um, and he, he would do a two week workshop up at this place sure. in Maine that we talked about, and. Uh, the first time I talked him into coming and said, I haven't seen your work. I don't like to have people I haven't, you know, hmm. um, but I like what you're saying. So I'll come. And I remember that first day he looked at this piece I was working on and he said, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I just wanted to kill myself. And I said, he said, and then he said, you're no virtuoso. <laughs> and you know, it's like, now I'm going to kill myself twice. He said, no, 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 no. He said, you, being a virtuoso is a curse because then you're not allowed to make mistakes and and people get and when you're a virtuoso people are just watching your skill 
you know? Huh. Right. Yeah. Or they can. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. real virtuosos like Yo-Yo Ma or Bobby McFerrin, we see the, their whole being, you know? But he said, your job, your skills have to be good enough so that they're not noticeable. Huh. Right? Huh. That they don't distract, that they serve serve what you're doing. But he said, your job's not to be the best, it's to be the only. Oh, wow. That nice. you can't, as soon as you're trying to be the best, you're in competition with somebody, and there's always a faster guitar player, huh. always a better singer, always a fast, better guitar player, you know, yeah, yeah. always. But if you find what your voice is, if you're the only one that does it in that way, then you're going to find a way to, you'll, then you'll be able to be an artist. And that's really influenced, and that's one of the things I say to people all the time. So yeah. when we look at, if I'm working with five or six storytellers together, it's like, what, what is this person doing that's really interesting? Huh. Not just the story, but yeah. what do you like about how they're presenting themselves? Um, so I think that that's, and that's a hard thing to teach because people get up on stage and there's just a lot of noise. <laughs> there, there's a lot of internal noise, yeah. and it's hard for them to just be there in that moment. Those are great observations. I really like, you know, being present in the moment um, and having that unique, unique expression of yourself. Um, I was thinking, I'm trying to remember, I think maybe, anyway, a famous comedian once said something along the lines of like, great comedians walk on stage and what makes them great is they're comfortable being being themselves. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. I was like, I, well, that's the thing so about, interesting. You know, I mean, like, some people, solo performers, they are virtuosic in yeah, their movement yeah. and they come on stage and it's almost like this thing behind a crystal that you're <laughs> just watching like, wow, I can't do that. Yeah. But I, I'm really interested in what appears artless because when you see, when you see, a lot of times when you see really good storytellers, you think, that guy is, she is not working. Huh. She's just, she's, this is simple, right? It looks simple. Um, but like you say, when you get up in front of people, everything goes haywire. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's to, to get that, to find that natural voice, so when it gets up there, it's still that person. Yep, that's good. I like it. And I think that applies really to you. If you're listening, maybe you're telling stories to your kids or your teacher, and you're actually are trying to use storytelling in your classroom. It's not about trying to imitate or be like, you know, Bill or, or any other storyteller, but um, finding that unique expression of your own way of storytelling, yeah. I feel like it's yeah. super honest. And I think, I mean, it's still true for me today, but I think when you're first finding your voice, you're trying on different people's voices, <laughs> yeah. you know? You, and I, I mean, and I'm still be doing something, and I'll think, oh, that was... It was me being Michael Parent or me being Campbell Roger or me being J.O. Callahan or, 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 you know, or Carmen or this just, I, I hear their voices, uh, I hear their voices in my work. <laughs> um, and you try that on to see yeah. what, you know, which, what, what can you steal, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, voice is, is interesting. I like I like the discussion about that because um, it's the same with you know, writing a novel or something. You have to find your own distinctive flavor of telling that story yeah. um, instead of imitate or copy. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is, and this is when you're afraid, you you know, this, this 
this fourth wall between you, the invisible fourth wall between you and the audience. The thing about storytelling is it's very permeable. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the fourth wall is down because characters are speaking to each other. Sometimes you're doing a direct address, maybe even just to one person in the audience. So it's very malleable. But you want to feel like it's there's the distance between us is very small. Huh. Um, that we're almost, almost, and sometimes it happens almost in conversation. Yeah. That's my aesthetic. I like that's, it. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. Great. Um, so one of the things you're known for is really being able to tell stories to uh, a wide group of people, from children to adults, families, fa family-friendly stories. And um, Are there sort of some things that you've found that really work well for a wide range of audience? Yeah, I thought, you know, there's a certain point when I was trying, and I, w I was doing a lot of work in schools, and I realized um, that I wanted for a number of reasons, some of them um, financial, I needed to have audio, I needed to work with families. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Um, because it's like families were going to buy the, parents were going to buy the recordings, you know, yeah. kids, kids aren't going to buy a recording in school. And I had to have them way to get them out. Um, but when I did that shift, it was very difficult because mm -hmm. suddenly you've got, it might be at a school, but they're bringing their three-year-old brothers and, and the adults, mm -hmm. and I want everybody to be entertained. So, um, there, I, I mean, I had enough understanding of story to know that there was going to have to be something that had to have repetition in it. Mm. There had to be some kind of commentary on the human condition besides to the adults. Mm. There has to be some kind of sense of suspense. It's like, what happens next yeah. is absolutely essential. And I think the other thing about entertaining a wide variety is that you, and this is where music's played a, such an important part to me, but I think you have to have, if you're going to be on stage for longer, it's eight or nine minutes, you need to have a couple modes of presentation, hmm. you know, so that you might do something in verse, and then you might sing a song, and you might tell a story, or the song and the story somehow wrap up into each other, and because if it's just all one mode of presentation, after a while the audience, they need to kind of reorient and, yeah. and look at things in a new way, and I think, especially, the, I think we listen with a different part of our brains to song than we do to story. Hmm. So I think those two complement each other really well. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, I am not a singer, so I usually yeah. don't do the. I don't play guitar or anything like that. So, but I think you're right. That well, I'm, and yeah, there's yeah, certainly yeah. exceptions to prove the rules. I no, mean, but there are exceptions that, that are that don't. You know, that's like that's yeah, not yeah. true. You know, but uh, but people do like if you just do. I don't know, not monotone, necessarily monotone, just the same, but but the same type of story over and over. I, I like that. Um, not vaudeville, but, but like uh, where you might do something one way and then something a little different, like you said, poetry or... or well, you know, I mean, even simply for storytellers, just like I'm not going to sing. Although, in the context of story, everybody can sing. Yeah. There's, it, you don't have to, you, you don't have to be a great singer to sing in a story. People understand that. But... Um, some stories or some parts of stories have dialogue between two characters. Yep, there you when go. you see the, the storyteller inhabiting the character, it 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 opens things up. Huh, yeah, you know, um, yeah. and then they can go back into the narrator's voice. I think that's the other thing too. Is like, I mean, once you really start doing this, you should always know what your position is. Like, is this a narrator speaking? Yeah, and is this a character speaking? You know, and we have to be careful that the narrator isn't 
They can do a little of it, but they shouldn't be embodying the emotion of the character. Yeah. Because yeah. if they start yelling, and then I did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, it's like, I'd rather have the character do that yeah. than the narrator. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty complex, really. I think uh, Ed Stivender helped me understand that many years ago, talking about dialogue and narration, and, and uh, I, I'd never really kind of thought of a story breaking down in those ways, but, but it's helpful, I think. Yeah, think and it. once again, everybody's got different ways of sure. doing this, yeah. you know? But I think that when you're aware of those things, it's, just, it's like just a bigger palette. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the audience needs to be reoriented. They need to have things, you know, kind of shaken up a little bit so that they'll hear again. Because, I mean, sometimes people have a voice like that, <laughs> and, they, and it's just really comforting, and that's a great voice. But if you do that for 15 minutes, somebody's probably going to fall asleep. <laughs> fall it's like asleep. your voice is so, it was like listening to waves on the shore, you know? <laughs> and that's okay, but then you lose the story. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk for a minute about humor, because uh, when, when we listen to your stories or performances... People will laugh and, and just enjoy it, but there's also like moments of poignancy. So how do you sh- how do you shape a story or a performance so it has humor in the sense of people oh that's hilarious or laugh or whatever, but then also moments of poignancy where they walk away with something deeper than just the laughter they have. Yeah, well, I think the humor when you get someone to laugh. That opens them up. Yeah. Um, the the defenses go down when you get them to laugh, and once you have done that, and how you make somebody laugh, I mean, <laughs> I it, it is has to do a worldview. I mean, it's like a lot of my stuff is is kind of based on a notion of the absurd. I mean, this like it's just like we did this. Yeah, is that stupid or what? Yeah, we but. Once you do that, then, I mean, usually when I'm forming a story, I know where, where that moment is, mm. where I'm going to, the story's going to come to a halt. Yeah. And it's like, and then this happened. And you sit on that, and people are laughing. I had a horrible thing happen to me once, which <laughs> I was at, I was at the Sundance Playwright Lab um, out in Utah, and there were all these incredible playwrights and I was working on a solo piece, and I was I was also very very nervous. And there's poise, it's, a lot of it's about fatherhood, and it's, I did this really stupid horrible thing with my kids related to food, and uh, it was horrifying to me. And I got to that point, and the audience broke up in laughter, and because it was a new piece, I was expecting. I said, "That's not funny." Like, and, you know, I was like telling the audience <laughs> what to feel. And Richard Schenken came up to me after. He wrote the Kentucky Cycle. He said, Bill, you can never tell an audience what to feel. He said, yeah. it's great that they laughed because 10 seconds later, they're going to be horrified at their own reaction. Right? Yeah, that's good. Um, but so, but I, I'm usually conscious of where those moments are. Yeah. Um, and I... I, I I build towards those, and a lot of that building has to do with how can I break the audience down so that they're ready to hear that moment. And if it's just this continuous dread of something horrible is going to happen... (laughs) Yeah, eventually it wears out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So when you shape a new story, you mentioned structure, and um, so do you tend to do it on paper or with your voice just... 
you know, trying I, I go, I go back and forth. Uh-huh. Um, I usually talk about a story for a long time with people. I might even talk about the story on stage. Uh, and then at a certain point, you know, it's like, remember J.O. Callahan said once, it was like, for a story, building a story for him was like building a compost pile. I just keep throwing stuff on top of it, and after a while, everything begins to heat up. <laughs> and, and then you've got the beginning of something. And, and I, so there's a certain point, it's like, okay, now I'm going to sit down, and I usually, I will just, I will write the story out. Um, and that helps me. There's a couple things that happen. First of all, I can, then I can see the structure a little bit. You know, it's not right, but I can get it. And then I can also, I can begin to think about language. Um, some of the phrases I find in performance, but there's usually times when you say, I have, especially in times of transition, I have to find a way to say this exactly right. Yeah. To make it clear. Um, and so I'll spend time doing that. And then at a certain point, I'll just start telling it. Yeah. And I might refer back to that page. You know, and practicing yourself is absolutely horrible. But you <laughs> have to do it initially. It's just the most, it's the most, ugh, just hated. Um, and then there's, a, there's this, I mean, it's a really interesting process because the first five or six times out, you're just kind of going point to point. You know, sometimes you're seeing the words on the page mm. or... Or you're you're and you're just stumbling through, and then there's a point when the story kind of asserts itself, and a lot of it has to do with that the audience, you see the audience is enjoying it, and then you can relax, huh. and then other things begin to happen. Yeah, you find ways of saying things. You say you have an offhand thing you say, people respond to. Hopefully, you write it down and remember <laughs> it. If somebody tells you, sometimes you don't, um, and then you also begin to see this isn't right, there's something wrong here. Mm. Uh, either I'm not saying it right, or it's not, you know, David Mamet said, if there's a problem in the third act, it's because there's a problem in the first act. Mm. So if it's not working when you get to the climax, you didn't set it up right. You didn't set it up, foreshadow it in the right way. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. So know. it's really yeah. crafting. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I really don't think, um, I think it takes... 25 times, 30 times telling the story. Sometimes they work sooner than that, but it takes 25 or 30 times before you, the story is, it's, it's a piece, you I know. Like that, yeah. It just, and there's, and th- I go back to this thing I said earlier, it's like, it's very much about time. There's some things that you cannot rush. They only, they only are going to get solved. It's like that Rilke quote, you know, you can't answer, the, you can only live the answers. It's like, <laughs> you have to, you have to live story for a while yeah um, and then a lot of times you find out like I said it's not about you it's about somebody else in the character people are responding to something that you didn't understand yeah the stories I was, I was interviewing um, I can't remember who but he said there's an Arapaho saying that all the stories that exist out there they all exist out there and sometimes a story finds you mm-hmm. and it's your job then to share it with the world which yeah. I love that idea yeah. that's so cool and so I think it is in the sense like all of a sudden you're like the story found me and I'm gonna just gonna play with it and play with it. and then finally it gets to a certain moment you're like yeah that's my voice it's honest it's authentic yeah. it, it fits and works and, and then it's works. a blast yeah <laughs> yeah because then then you can slow down <laughs> yeah I mean it's one of the paradoxes I tell to people it's like the sure sign that you 
that the story isn't working is when you speed up. And when you speed up, the audience knows you're losing it ah, and they lose interest. interest. Unless it's a character. Unless I mean, there's these little set sure, pieces yeah. that are quick. But mostly, if you speed up, it's because you're uncomfortable. Huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the paradox is you ought to slow down. No, that's good. Um, you've, you've told stories all over the country, all over the world, really. Are, are there different types of stories that tend to work better in different cultures? Or do you find that there's sort of this common sort of humanity in your stories that people all over the world have? Yeah, I don't think I can comment on the whole world. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, really, I really, I mean, I have, I've told stories in Japan and India and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, but... Um, but I'm I I not it told well enough or long enough there to really know. Yeah. Um, I am kind of heartened that how well my stories go across in many different places. Yeah. Um, uh, but I I also I say that with some trepidation um, because I know. It's not just me. It's not just the story. It's who's telling it. Mm. And um, me bringing a story into a situation uh, that's filled with people who are different from me. Yeah. Um, the, I, I'm, I'm bringing my own baggage in with it. And mm. so to get through that. But generally, I, I think about that. And it's like, you know, I tell a story in Alabama. It works in Alabama. works for, you know, it works in... Seattle works in yeah. You had worked in New Zealand, it's yeah. Like, you know, and also, I mean, I think the story adjusts. This is something I was going to say earlier that you need to tell the story to the audience that's there, huh. which means that you adjust the language or the the way you present it. Uh, so the story is not the words. <laughs> there is the story. And words are what you use to share the story. And depending on who and where you are, you, I can tell I have a story that's 40 minutes long. I could do it in six minutes if I had to, <laughs> right? Uh, depending, on, yeah. depending on who's there. Yeah. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of that. But I think there's a common... I'm, I'm always looking for the commonality is in the story. Yeah. Um, and we do... We are more alike than we are different. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean... Um, Obviously, uh, I can't understand someone in a certain sense that's different, but I can understand their struggles and, and, and to some extent, I think. And somebody said one time, you understand someone's culture when you laugh at their jokes, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, it's like if you get their humor, yeah. you're like, I kind of feel like, yeah. But yeah. no, it's a, Well, you know, it's you funny. Know. I mean, I'm thinking of like situations like I was working, I worked in Montana a lot, and I spent some time on. Uh, Reservations there, and I was. Let me tell a story to a bunch of preschoolers. Um, and I got there, and I, I looked at the scene. I said to the, the person who brought me in, I said, "This, this is going to be interesting because um, it was a bunch of uh, it was a bunch of women and you know, thirty preschoolers, which aren't my favorite audience anyway." <laughs> and the the women were sitting in the circle behind, and you know, their arms are crossed, and I was like, "Oh no." You go ahead. Yeah. And sure enough, I'd been telling for three or four minutes, and some kids, you know, went ahead and grabbed my guitar, so I had to take <laughs> that out, and then they were climbing the guitar case, and one of them was pulling on my hair. <laughs> and, and those women were just like, yeah, 
You just go ahead, you know. <laughs> we just we're just gonna sit here and watch, watch you. So that like that was like a cultural like, thing, you know. It was like I've been brought in, and they're oh, like, yeah. oh yeah. So you think you're a storyteller? Yeah. Now go ahead. And it's like, and I said, this is just what I expect was gonna happen. <laughs> um. So let's say someone's listening. They're they're a teacher. They're a dad or a grandpa or whatever. And they're like, look, I just want to tell some stories to my students or you know just to my grandkids or whatever. And I can't necessarily try it out twenty times or whatever. What what advice would you give to them? Say, look. Well, the first couple thing, of things. Yeah. 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 The, the first thing that I say, and I, I mean, this is true for all of them, but I say to teachers all the time is the first stories you have to tell are about things that happened to you as a kid. Hmm. Yeah. Um, because, and this is one of the reasons I think I'm too okay with kids is, I think the two basic experiences of childhood are terror and powerlessness. Huh, interesting, yeah. You know, that they, uh, yeah. they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen, and they don't have much ability to change it. And we, that's humorous to us, because, like, oh, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You know? Huh. And you, you, I came out okay, you know? But for them, it's not. So when you tell them a story about something that happened to you as a kid huh. and how you got through it, huh. what, first of all, they're going to listen to you, and you're, they're gonna, you're gonna show them who you are, and we learn from people that we know, yeah. that we that we trust, that we know, and we do that through story. And you're also saying the subtext is I made it, and so can you. So I think those personal stories about growing up are yeah. really, to to uh, adult figures in kids' lives, are really important. Um, and then, you know, like how do you find a story? I, well, here's the, I mean, the thing about you're not going to tell a story 20 times, actually you are if they like <laughs> if it. If they like it, there you go. If That's they true. like it. I mean, the big joke among us is like, my wife Debbie had this story that she made up one night about Paul and the kite that she told to Dylan a hundred times, 300 times, and it was just this boy who wanted a kite and... And it was in the it was in the window, and he couldn't afford it, and he saved up money, and one day he he bought the kite and he flew it, and it was like, oh, that's kind of a dumb story. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, where's you know where are the monsters? Or, yeah. But it was like uh, that was Paul and the kite is like the most famous family story. It's like forget who your you know dumb dad is. It's <laughs> it's the mom that's got it, which is, I mean, I think the story. Yeah, I always think of. Uh, this kid came up to me after a show and he said, you're a really good storyteller, but you're not as good as my dad. Uh, huh. And that's because his dad knows him. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And I, so I don't think you should be afraid of that. And if you have this, I mean, if it's a story that you knew as a kid, if it's, if it's a structured folktale, like, here's the other thing. You actually, actually, if you want to tell a story, you have to practice. Yeah. If, whether it's in the car or folding laundry or taking a walk, you know, people say, I can't tell a joke. And I say, well, have you told it 10 times? And they go, what do you mean? It's like, very few, I didn't tell a joke well the first time. Yeah. But I have jokes and my wife rolls my eyes. It's like, oh, God, <laughs> not this one again. You know, but there's set pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's true stories, too. You have to practice them. No, that's good. Uh, well, no, I've really enjoyed, you know, the chance just to sit down and pick your brain a little bit and just hear about your passion for story and voice and, and shaping stories for you know kids and families, just the next generation. Do you have any 
like closing words of encouragement or advice? I mean, what you just shared was really good. Well, I think the thing, you know, I think this is true about almost everything is mostly in in order to tell stories, you got to get out of your own way. Hmm. That, and I say this to people about about music too. Uh, like we've been listening, you've been listening to stories your whole life, and even if you don't, aren't conscious of it, you have an unconscious understanding of how a story goes together. Yeah. Um, and so, and story is what makes us human. It's 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 kind of what defines what humans are, which is the ability, you know, a story is like stringing events together in a causal sequence to give meaning, because stories are, in the end, about meaning. And so um, you, you, you know a lot of it, and we get in our own way, worried about whether people are going to like it or whether how much we're supposed to, you know, how much movement we're supposed to do yeah. or all that noise. And you just kind of, yeah, you just got to do it a lot. There you go. <laughs> well, no, that's fantastic. And so, Bill, is there a place online where people can actually connect with you or find out when you're performing, you know, different places, things like that? Yeah, well, I've got a webpage. It's BillHarley.com. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff. i got a YouTube channel with, with all those shows I do during the, during, oh, wow. <laughs> during the pandemic uh, and, and a bunch of other stuff, um, too. Um, and I've got a lot of my recordings and a, a lot of my books. Uh, you, you can get them there, uh, as well as other places. And the, I, you know, you can listen to me on Spotify, and I'll get paid, you know, <laughs> half a penny or yeah, something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but I'm Spotify and Pandora and all that other stuff too. Well, definitely, folks li- listening, uh, definitely go to Bill's website and check out some of his recordings. Um, and uh, you know, this summer. If you have a long van ride or a long, you know, vacation or whatever, and you're, like, looking for something that's, you know, actually good for the whole family, um, check out his CDs. Are you still sell CDs? Or are they we have CDs, but we have thumb drives, and you can download <laughs> and all that other kind yeah, of stuff. So. Actually, we have a lot of CDs. And I'm, <laughs> they're in the basement, and I'm happy to have you have them, you know? <laughs> Some guy said to me, you don't know me. <laughs> But I just spent the last nine days in the car with you. <laughs> so, uh-huh, there yeah. you are. So, um, well, Bill. Uh, again, thanks so much for, it's, for it's, joining. It's me. been great to talk to you. Uh, and also, thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks for uh, tuning in for more info about our guests and to check out other interviews. Uh, you can search for us wherever you listen to your podcasts, or always click to thestoryblender.com for biographies and information about our guests. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts Friday evenings. Now here's where I'll say, yes. tell your stories well, my friends, and if you don't mind to say, the art of the story is all in the blend. Yes. So let's try that. Right. Here we go. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember, the art of the story is in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. If you haven't heard yet, we're excited to be sponsoring a writing conference in Johnson City, Tennessee, September 8th through 10th, 2023. I'll be teaching more than 12 hours worth of instruction on novel writing. So if you have a story that you've wanted to tell, a novel that you've started, come check out the Fiction Intensive in Tennessee. All the details are at fictionintensive.com. And if you use the code word blender, 
When you check out all capital letters, you can save 10% when you sign up. Hope to see you soon.